On this episode of AV Week, consolidation. Is Resi Marshall real? All that and more coming up on AV Week. The network for the AV industry. What are you listening to? This. This is AV. This. This. This is AV Nation. This is AV Nation. AV Nation is brought to you by Sure. Because every voice matters. This is episode 629, The Family is Growing. This is AV Week, your weekly wrap-up of all the news in the audiovisual world. I am your host, Brian Heidgerken. Tim is out at Cedia and CI Expo getting his steps in. Joining us this week is Kelly Teal, a new mom. Congratulations. Thank you. Happy to be here again. And also, you're the building technology designer at AG. H-G-A. Dyslexia is a terrible thing, but thank you for joining us. <laughs> Thanks for having me. Also joining us is Nancy Blanchard, AV industry business development guru. Hello, Nancy. Hello. <laughs> and Nairi Hollingsworth, a VIXA board member and collaboration productivity senior manager at Granger. Welcome, Nairi. Hello, Brian. Thanks for having me. Our first topic this week is from AV Network's newsmaker story, Biamp acquires Evoco. Uh, they're adding room and desk, desktop booking along with wireless presentation to their mostly audio lineup. I know they did two years ago branch out into control with some touch panels and uh, keypads. So what's this say for Biamp? I mean, where are they going? We've had conversations about this before with Biamp, um, and I think they've been expanding their product portfolio for some time now. So I'm, I'm not completely shocked that they acquired Evoco because it also allows them to expand their product offerings, which they've, again, been doing for a while. Um, and then I think they're also trying to potentially incorporate Evoco's technology and products into their existing lineup to create new solutions for customers. Um, so I think as far as where they're going with this, I think it's just uh, market diversification at the end of the day. Um, they're diversifying their market and their presence and their customer base by gaining access to Evoco's existing customers and, and markets. Um, I think part of that is also the integration, uh, technology integration aspect where um, they're trying to integrate the intellectual property into their own products and solutions, um, which also enhances their capabilities. Um, I mean, none of us can say for sure what the end goal is or what surprises Biamp will have for us in the future, but I think they're definitely taking um, this as a competitive advantage, and the acquisition, I think, is providing Biamp with that competitive advantage in the audio and video, now video conferencing industry, because as we all know, they were primarily audio, um, they were the audio um, related market. So, um, and then last but not least, I think it's, you know, revenue growth. I think this is something that, you know, if it works out, it's going to lead to increased revenue for Biamp and through the sale of those products and, and also some cost savings. So um, I think that's a kind of broader picture of wh what's to come for Biamp. Um, but I don't think this will be the last time they have an acquisition either. Uh, so I think we're definitely going to see more on the video side from Biamp. Uh, I think we're going to see more acquisitions related to video and video conferencing products. Um, and, you know, I, I, 
I'd like to eventually see what their statements are, um, you know, about their plans related to the, this acquisition and then the ones that they, that they have in the future. And Biamp's not unique in this case, right? I think everybody's looking to expand beyond their their core business and and kind of be on, be that complete manufacturer. You can buy everything, you know, from the from the speakers to the control system all the way through to the end. So, you know, Nancy, you know, how how are you seeing the possibilities here with Biamp and and their addition? Well, you know, the 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 flavor of the year is ecosystem. That's what everybody refers to everything as. And the way that I see this, um, similar to, you know, Legrand, I will say with Harman Samsung, though, is they haven't expanded. They're just keeping to the common core JBL crown, et cetera. I think it's more the, the Legrands and um, the, the Biamps that are, as, as Kelly said, expanding as a means to be able to generate more revenue be able to reach out to more customers that they didn't necessarily have. So with this ecosystem is that they can go into the consultants and to say, hey, one stop shop, instead of a mixed bag of different manufacturers, how about you uh, does, um, spec in all of our products? And, and I can say that from interviewing with a manufacturer, uh, that was one of the um, roles was to be able to talk to consultants and, and say, hey, you don't need to go outside. You can provide everything through, you know, ABC and it'll be easier for you to spec. And that's how I'm seeing it from Biamp is now. But, but then the other confusing part, like Kelly, I got up on Biamp site and it's like 15 product lines. How the heck... Does a, ter uh, a regional manager be able to know 16, 15 different product lines? Or is it that they're going to have like the different divisions divided up and you have a specialty? That's in the back of my mind from being a territory manager and being a consultant liaison is how, how are they going to manage all of that? Well, especially getting away from their core audio business. You know, if it's, if you're a DSP expert, you know, speakers and that type of microphones kind of play into that. But when you start getting in those other realms, it's, it's a whole nother category there for, for you to have to add your specialties, your specialty to. Nairi, you know, I, I being a designer for about 20 years now, you know, the whole concept of, oh, you could just spec all Biamp or all this manufacturer. I like to like, well, I like this and I like that. So I like to kind of a la carte it. But I know there's a lot of pressure from the manufacturers and they're giving you a lot of good reasons to stay within their, their umbrella. How do you see that playing out going forward? I mean, it's, it's an interesting play throughout the industry as many of these companies stretch out into markets that they traditionally have not played into. I think it's, as Kelly mentioned, you know, diversifying the portfolio to lock in some level of uh, revenue consistency um, and create some revenue growth is the thrust behind uh, this and other acquisitions in, in, in similar with similar companies so that they remain relevant in the space because, you know, this is an opportunity to reach out to that customer that uh, maybe is in love with Evoco and never heard of Biamp, you know, and so now they have an opportunity to sell them DSPs and speakers and, you know, uh, 
uh, media bars and, and all the other uh, aspects of their por product portfolio. Um, so from, you know, from where I see it for their business, it makes a lot of sense for me as a buyer, um, you know, is yes, I'm familiar with them, but me as a buyer, if I wasn't familiar with them, you know, now I have a, another opportunity to, to reach out into a portfolio again, like a, again, that, that I may not have been familiar with otherwise. So, um, net, net, I think it's going, it, it should work out for them. We'll, we'll, we'll proof is in the pudding and all of that. And hopefully, um, they, you know, I, I, again, I, I fully expect them to continue to expand their reach, uh, so that they remain relevant and, and available to, to other markets. Well, and I think this consolidation, both on the manufacturing side, but also on the integration side, is kind of a sign of a continued maturing of AV. Um, I know I, I've talked with other industry leaders and, you know, it's like, when did AV start? And some people are like, well, the minute there was a video projector, you know, or, you know, that, that phonograph back in, you know, the turn of the century. Um, but I think, you know, we've made a lot of strides in the last, you know, 30, 40 years. And I think COVID really helped us um, come to the forefront a little bit more, at least in my interactions with architects and, and building planners of, it's not like, oh yeah, we do need some video conferencing or some technology in the space. Now that's more, it's early on in the process. It's like, okay, this is a space that's gonna have technology. Let's start talking about it before we even develop maybe the size and the shape of, this, of the room, which I think is great, right? Us getting in earlier in those conversations. But with this acquisition, Nairi, back to you, you know, it's good until it's not good. So, you know, do you, how do you feel about that continued acquisition? I, by, no more, by no means do I think we're done. We're still in the early phases of it. But, you know, if we get down to that core of, you know, like they always had the big three automakers, you know, it's like, oh, we have the big three AV companies, yeah. you know, that, that kind of concerning too. Well, when you look at it, you know, within our industry, our largest companies in our industry pale in comparison to, you know, some of the, the, the companies that we call customers out there in the marketplace. Um, so this level of consolidation is inevitable given the speed of technology and the speed at which money changes hands internationally. Um, these kinds of things, it, it, it's, it's unfortunately creating a space where it's really, really hard to be a smaller manufacturer, integrator, what have you, um, because the cost of doing business is so much higher. Uh, the cap cost of capital is so much higher these days with interest rates. Um, and inflation in certain parts of the world. Um, so it's, it's, it's just right now, today, it's a really hard time to be a small business, unfortunately. Um, and the larger businesses are taking, taking note. Um, you look at some of the largest integrators out there, they're owned by private equity. You know? And so that's a whole other element of it that, that we really don't see, um, but we definitely feel it. Um, because that's what's fueling a lot of these acquisitions. The private equity wants to get their pound of flesh out of these companies that they they acquired, and so they they push to to grow these markets and these revenue streams uh, to ensure that they they get some sort of return on their investment. So, um, just the the economics of the day are are unfortunately creating that world. And unless you have a really uh, compelling niche product that only you can make and and produce and sell, 
then it's 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 going to be really hard for you to compete with these larger uh, companies in the world just because they they can afford to make more mistakes than you can as a smaller business. Well, and I do find you know we are a kind of a, a niche or a boutique part of a of a larger technology industry, but AV specifically, you know, I go around and one of my other jobs is to talk with architects and interior designers, and they really don't have a concept of what we do or what we, you know, what we can do, what we do and how we do it. And so that's, that's part of the fun though, is going out and talking to them about the industry. And they're like, wow, you guys can do that. We always wondered who did that, you know? And so to your point, we, you know, when we talk about consolidating our industry, it's a pretty small, group, even the big people in our industry. Yeah. I mean, from experience and also uh, talking to somebody else because they recently uh, were uh, bought up, I guess you could say, by an investment group is the dynamics change. And that's where I feel the passion of why we're in this industry, what we like to do has dramatically changed because it's all about the bottom line and it's all about numbers. And it's every quarter got to meet, meet the numbers. If you don't, the investors aren't happy. They start becoming, um, you know, uh, nervous. And I, I know that, you know, the smaller companies like Nairi said is they look to the investors because now that's additional capital so that, you know, they can go out and, and hire more people or, you know, they, they, such as engineers, they can uh, invest a little bit more to be able to work on, you know, the, the next new product and things. But the in, inside even in with the environment, it changes. And, you know, when we look at like the AMXs, I, I was territory manager for AMX back when Scott Miller, the CEO, was there. Is it was it was a fun environment. It was a it was a team environment, but they worked hard as well. But they were proud and. I don't see that anymore. I, I see that it's just, it, it's changed and it's all about business. Get it done, get it done, get it done. And, you know, when you look at the trade shows, when you're talking about smaller businesses, it is so expensive to exhibit at Infocom or even ISC. And companies have asked, should we take that money, maybe do more regional shows, smaller shows? You know, how much, how much leverage, how, how much do we really get out of it with leads and ROIs and things. Well, Extron dropped out years ago and yeah. still haven't been back, you know, so it, you're right. It, and that culture of AV is changing, uh, some for the better and some, you know, the, the maybe the larger seeing it as a, as a cash uh, generator that, that can put a lot of stress, uh, especially on the people day to day. But that's funny what you said about Extron because Harmon did that one year. It was Infocom in Vegas and said, you know what, we're not going to have a, a booth anymore. And then at the last minute, I guess FOMO or something, they had a, a suite that was in the lobby so that they could still show products and bring people through. Aside from the dilution of the focus and, and how that can divert attention away from the core business, um, which leads to a loss of focus and potentially declining performance, and the existing operations. Um, there's also the financial strain aspect, and then there's also integration challenges as well. Um, that's the, I feel like one of the major downsides um, to, I, I don't wanna say too many acquisitions, but um, the uh, wrong acquisitions or the, the potential to have um, acquired companies into the existing corporate structure. Um, and you don't put the time, because these are very, time-consuming operations um, 
you know, and then like, like Nancy said, the cultural differences, the incompatibility aspect, uh, management may clash, ideas may clash, um, you know, and, and again, there's just that financial strain that can also be a factor and, um, you know, just the hurdles of, you know, acquiring, you know, a, a company and the regulatory challenges and um, just also brand and reputation risk. Um, we all know that with acquisitions, there is that risk, <laughs> loss of autonomy. I mean, there's a lot of downside. There's a lot of good things about these acquisitions, but there's also, as you stated, there's a lot of downside to it. And I think it's always going to, there's always going to be those risks. So, you know, I, I think a lot of the times you got to outweigh the benefit versus the risk. And I think what Nyree and Nancy have said is spot on. And um, I feel like that's something everybody should consider when these acquisitions happen. Well, a number of times we've talked about cash, right? Because cash is the oxygen that lets your company breathe. Um, years ago, I was at, uh, oddly enough, AMX training uh, down in Texas. <laughs> And I was talking with a business owner who was in the same class as I was in. Um, and we got to talking at dinner one night and one of his struggles was that cash flow, right? Because he was doing very high end houses in Canada. Um, but the timelines on these projects were making his business struggle for cash because he was doing outlays for, you know, cable. And, and I think he said some of these houses had, you know, million dollars worth of AV in the house, right? With security and surveillance and everything. And he was looking for some ways to get into, you know, something to where he could supplement that, uh, those homes. And we got to talking about higher education, right? Because, you know, most colleges, you got the, 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 the spring break, summer break, winter break, where they do, you know, 10, 12 rooms, that you can work through them most of the time, especially standard classrooms really quickly. And then they pay their bills and you're, you're back to, you know, your residential work. Um, that, which leads us into the next topic I wanted to talk about. And it comes from uh, Tim Albright uh, actually wrote it uh, for AV nation uh, about resimercial uh, it's real. Uh, and, and that's, that, that's that blending of the residential companies and the commercial companies where you're, they're trying to do a little bit of both you know, dip their toe in. Um, so Nancy, that, that's, that's a, it's, yes, we're, we're all part of the AV family, but that residential side and the commercial side, they are uh, siblings of a very different nature and working in both of them is a struggle in my opinion. Yeah. Yeah. It's a different beast, a whole different beast. And my question when I was reading, uh, reading Tim's article is, um, you know, you've got a manufacturer. Well, there's the residential they buy from certain manufacturers for their gear. And then you have us, which is commercial and it's pro AV. So all of a sudden, if you have the residential integrators that are sort of crossing the line and doing a little bit of commercial, how does that work? Is the manufacturer now going to uh, allow them to be able to buy the commercial side of it to be able to work with their customers, you know, for home offices and things like that, or, and then what if a commercial integrator finds out? I mean, there, there's a lot of crossing the line here that makes it seem like there's some gray areas. Um, and the home office. So is that where a residential dealer is working with their client to outfit it? Or is it the company that is going to work with another integrator to outfit 
that that home office. Well, and Nairi, I mean, with with your background, you know, to to Nancy's point, you know, getting even getting the product for uh, a resi company, um, you know, that could be a struggle for someone. Yeah, it's a struggle for some of the resi <clears throat> integrators that are out there. But I know if I picked up my phone and said, hey, big integrator, will you go put some gear into my CEO's house? They'll do it. <laughs> they will do it. <laughs> so, yeah, the lines are blurring. And, and I think you know, we are only seeing the tip of the iceberg of um, what we're going to do in some of these uh, more senior executives home spaces that they are that is now probably 60 percent of their workspace. Um, you know, so it's it's there. There has to be a blurring of those lines these days. Uh, because we've already blurred the lines of work and home. Um, and, and that quite naturally makes it, um, creates a space where some of these commercial by commercial integrators can play in. Now, I know a lot of them, they just won't touch that business at all. Um, and they'll, yeah, they'll pick up the phone for me and quickly sub that work out. And I know that, you know, um, and, and that's okay. Um, so I think there's enough there's enough to go around for everybody. Um, we can, we, if we do this smartly and continue uh, to show the promise of well-designed and well-done spaces, whether they be in the home or whether they be in an office, uh, then, then, then the businesses will still get those phone calls. The integrators will still have some, have space to compete in. The manufacturers will still have products to sell and, and, and places to put them. Um, and, and, you know, all of us will look good because we've, we've done great things to create uh, collaborative solutions uh, around, uh, around our industry. So I don't look at it as a bad thing that, that, that these lines are blurring. I look at it as uh, something that's going to help us all continue to grow um, and develop and, and provide solutions that, that really uh, make us see and hear each other much better around the world. So the CEOs were using Savant in their homes. And when they started opening up the Apple stores, the CEOs were adamant that it not to have AMX, which actually did end up being AMX in there, but to put the Savant products in. And it didn't matter what the integrators were saying to them of no, it, that's, that's not a commercial product. It's not going to work. They were forced to. So they put Savant in and they ended up having to rip it all out because it just did not work properly. But that 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 was coming from the CEOs down. Well, it was what they were comfortable with. That's what they knew. Yeah. yeah. So, Kelly, I mean, as uh, Nairi was talking about, all four of us currently, I'm assuming, are working from home. So, you know, that that blur is is real. Yeah. Um, I for the first half of my career, I worked in high end residential. Um, and it, it's completely different as Nancy stated, it, it's in, on the flip side, when I started kind of going more into commercial it's still kind of doing residential, but also going into more commercial, um, they would also ask to use Sonos and a commercial setting and it works to a degree, depending on what you're, what you're trying to do, you know, in an amenity space of a building. Sure. Um, so there was constantly asked for a commercial product in a residential setting or a residential product in a commercial setting. And, um, you know, the, the, like you said, these people who own these 
gorgeous houses and they're installing their own systems uh, have used a product before and they're very adamant about using that product may not be the best solution, but it's what they know. Um, you know, I think if you do it properly, uh, you can you can enhance or leverage, I guess you could say, commercial AV gear in, in a home office, um, you know, through the use of microphones and sound systems and video quality through cameras and even projectors um, or monitors. Um, there, there's going to be a little bit of a, I guess you could say, a use case a study that, that needs to be done in that in that aspect. So, you know, if you want a control system or if you want something more than just the average, what we probably all use, an integrated camera with a headset, um, it can be done. It, it's just that um, there is that fine line between, uh, you know, using a product that is specifically tailored for residential um, uh design and, and control systems versus what you would use in, a, in an office space. Um, and I think with more people working from home, that's going to become more of a request. And uh, I'm already seeing it in, uh, in some of the designs that I, I do for office spaces. And, uh, you know, they're asking for these, these <laughs> products that I would use at home. And right. uh, I mean, to me, it's like it works for being at home and working from home. Mm. But, you know, it's going to save you some money, sure. But at the end of the day, you've got to take so many things into consideration. It's product selection, lighting, the acoustics, the collaboration tools you're going to need, the cable management, the networking, the control system type, the display solution. I mean, it, and then what happens if you follow what they want to use and then it's not a good design and then they're upset with you later at the end of the day. So Yeah, we've all probably had those clients, right? Where it's like, well, we're just going to use the same TV. I have this TV at home. It's great. We're going to yes. put it in the boardroom. <laughs> and, and real quick, funny story of that, we were meeting with a logistics company that was building a new headquarters. And we had the CEO, the CFO, and head of IT, everybody there. And while we're having this conversation, you know, talking about what we offer and how it's better than, you know, um, them just shopping on their own, um, the CFO keeps picking up the TV remote and hitting a button because the, the TV says, you know, going to sleep in five minutes, even though there's a computer image shown but because it's a residential TV that they picked up at Sam's or Costco or something, you know, it's it's like, oh, there's no motion, there's no video. And we're, we're going through it. And finally, um, you know, and the meeting was going really well. So I felt I could be a little bit punchy. And and uh, the CFO was finally like, you know, for, for the for the money that you guys are charging, what's the big ad? And I said, I can make it to where you don't have to pick up that remote anymore during your meetings. And he was like, I didn't even realize I was doing that. And it's like, right. But like every few minutes you're picking that up. I go, we can make the systems easy to operate, you know, and, and that's that difference to where, you know, we're the, we're the, you know, the, the technology experts. And, and yes, sometimes we do get ignored. You know, we give them our best advice and they go, yep, we understand that's what you're recommending, but we're going this way because I'm comfortable with it. I mean, I had a similar situation recently. Um, we had an active classroom and as you know active classrooms can be very pricey mm -hmm. and one of the asks was to have video conferencing at all these pods and um we originally gave them and it was pretty high budget and um understandably they wanted to come down in cost and one of their uh, internal team members uh, 
said, hey, you know, let's just do these OWL devices for video conferencing. <laughs> I knew you were going to mention the OWL. <laughs> yeah. And I, and it's funny because that was my reaction is I knew the OWL was coming because I get asked so often and as cute as they are, and they're, you know, an all-in-one video conferencing device, um, there's just some settings where it just may not work the way you want it to work. And, and we ended up, making it work in this because they ended up kind of scaling down on the video conferencing needs and, and it worked. And, and in this one scenario, we, we got lucky because, you know, we were able to explain these are the limitations. This is what you'll get with it. And this is how it'll work. And they were okay with that. And, um, you know, it did save them, save them money, but um, those owl devices are perfect example because they get brought up so often as a replacement yeah. for real, video conferencing systems that may be pricey, but they'll do what you want them to do. And then it's like, oh, the OWL device. And, you know, as much as I think they're so cute, I just think that those are literally what you're explaining right now. Yeah. Yeah. And, and they, you're right. They are absolutely wonderful for a table of four, you know, right. maybe six. But when you have, you know, 20 people sitting at a long table and and I, I don't know how many times I go into architecture firms and there is a Logitech, you know, C930 webcam <laughs> on top of a TV at the end of this table. And it's just like, can we talk about your guys' technology when we're done with this call? And which we do a lot because when they see what's out there, they're like, wow, we didn't even know you could do stuff like that. You know, and then they start feeling a little uncomfortable about what maybe they're presenting to their clients as they're, you know, well, this is our boardroom. And you know, we're using dual owls on the table or something like that. Well, it's funny that you mentioned a four person table. Cause that's the reason we made it work is because we only put them at pod tables with like four to five people <laughs> and it's only a few tables. It wasn't a, a, a room wide video conferencing, like, like we were going to do. So Brian and Kelly, the, the bad thing about that is you like, yes, those conversations aren't going to stop as long as we have lower cost consumer products. Good thing about that is that's the whole reason I have a job is <laughs> 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 to explain why this is not going to work in, you know, your 50s, you know, 20 foot long boardroom and what have you. So, um, you know, what it boils down to is that, you know, us on the commercial side, we've got to do a better job of marketing ourselves outside of each other um, because the, the superior solutions are there, but we do a terrible job of explaining, you know, what they are and how they work uh, to our ultimate end customers, um, you know? And so yet, like I said, those, those conversations are going to continue to happen. Um, but the good news is, is that, you know, you, you're finding more organizations hiring folks like me to help them make better decisions uh, about how to outfit their spaces, because in a lot of ways it's existential for them. And the commercial side right now, like the reason that you have an office is to bring people together. So if your solutions to bring people together and relate to the folks that aren't there aren't up to par, why do you have an office? You know, and so the good news is, is, you know, the people are uh, organizations are getting smarter uh, about bringing on technology specialists that that are primarily, you know, come from the AV world uh, so that they can rationalize those investments and do the right thing for their their colleagues in the organization. I agree. I think all of us on this call are in the same same position where, you know, those conversations are as much as we dread them when they come up. It's it's like, yes, OK, that's why I'm here. I'm here to explain why we need to do that. Well, I, I really want to thank all three of you guys for being here this week. 
Um, it was a great conversation. I, I always enjoy filling in for Tim when he lets me uh, sit in the host seat. Um, but if people want to reach out to you guys to talk to you more about work and, and follow you outside of your visits here on uh, AV Week, uh, what's the best way for them to connect with you, Nairi? Uh You can find me on LinkedIn. Uh, since Twitter doesn't exist anymore, I don't exist on it anymore. Uh, <laughs> so, you know, reach out to me on LinkedIn, Nairi Hollingsworth. Happy to connect with you. And Nancy, how about you? What's the best way for people to reach out and get a hold of you? You can reach me on X, which I'm uh, quite active on there with the AV community, as well as LinkedIn. And both of them are at Nancy Blanchard. That's where I found her. And Kelly, when uh, you get back into the, uh, the, the swing of things, after you enjoy the, your time with your, your new one, what's the best way for people to reach out to you? Uh, I am also on LinkedIn. Uh, that's the only thing I'm on right now, especially because X doesn't make you create a profile to, to browse anymore. So <laughs> I don't have a profile on there. But on LinkedIn, I am under Kelly Teal, which is peel with a T. Uh, I used to say teal like the color with two E's, but it was just easier to say peel with a T. So I am on there. Awesome. Great. Again, thank you guys all for joining us this week. And don't forget to check out avnation.tv or any place you find your favorite podcast for more AV Week and other AV Nation podcasts. Check out the Architect podcast where we explore relationship between architects and technology. Not sure about the host, but I hear the guests are pretty good. Thank you again, and we will see you guys next time. <laughs>